Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Lots of content. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is going to get deep. All right. So, t- so for, uh, what I'm going to do for the next probably three months, I'm going to give you a very comprehensive study. Listen to me now. This is important. Uh, of what I call, many theologians call, the constitution of the kingdom. The constitution of the kingdom is Jesus' first ever sermon on the mount. I am going to be talking about Jesus' epic truths found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where he continually talks. It's one of the fewest places in scriptures where there's zero interruption. And he comes in, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray in a second, but you're going to realize the context. So I have to give you about 20 minutes of context just before I even start by really my first point. But I guarantee you, you're going to leave deeper and with a vibrant heart, and you're going to be gripped by the things of God, and you're going to go deeper. Listen, and it's going to set us up for revival here. Because when we get gripped, listen to me, when we get gripped, the automatic response of being gripped is we cry out. We cry out. No one has to force us to cry out, okay? So, Father, I just thank you for the word today. I thank you for a sense of sobriety. I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts, Lord. It's unto something. It's not just to make us feel bad. It's not just to make us be more serious. It's unto something. It's unto an awakening that you desire in this city, in this state, in this nation. But it must come from God's people. So I ask that you would anoint me, anoint your word and anoint the truths of this word. Let it go deep in our hearts as we study for the next several months this epic first major sermon of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount and its lifestyles. And we say yes to its principles in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Now, before we read Matthew chapter 5, I just want to give you a little context of, of this story, okay? Uh, we're, we're about to read. So you, when, you, when we read it, we're going to read about 12 verses and then we're going to go back and highlight one of the Beatitudes. Again, it's, this is, there's so much to this that I just want you to pay attention. Everybody say pay attention, all right? Uh, and so uh, I, this started many years ago for me that I had somebody uh, give me a CD. Remember when people gave you CD teaching, teaching CDs, right? That's how long ago. And I was in Kansas City. And I didn't know the language about, you know, the, 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 the love language at that time with, you know, with uh, Kansas City. I was still, uh, you know, kind of a recovering youth pastor from Miami, you know, and, and uh, I didn't know things like, that's the kiss from God, beloved, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know what, what I'm like, what do you mean, God is trying to kiss me, what, you know, and uh, someone just gave me, out of the blue, gave me like a stack of teaching CDs, they go, and I didn't even know them, they said, the Lord uh, spoke to me, I saw you, and I, uh, the Lord told me, this is for you, that this is going to be uh, uh, fundamental for your walk with God. I'm like, I'm already pastor. I already know what I'm, you know, all this stuff. And when I looked down, it was the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. I'm like, and instantly I felt like the fire of the Holy Spirit was gripping my heart, like to study that. And I gave myself many, many years studying this in a, in a classroom format. And every time I would speak the truths of this, um, things would happen in the atmosphere. In the class, I remember people coming down and, and like falling on their knees with no music as they were gripped by the word of God. And so I'm going to share a, a, a quick intro and then I'm going to get d- deep into it. So I'm going to give you a little teaser right now. All right. So Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount, all right, where Jesus basically, the reason why it's called the Sermon on the Mount is nothing spiritual about that name. He literally was on a mountain because scientists and physicists say that when you are higher on a mountain, your voice carries more. So there was no microphone, so he had to go up on a mountain because there was thousands of people. Now think about this for a second. Think about that you had 20 years to prepare for your first message. Think about if you had 20 years or so, 22 or, you know, or, or 20 years to prepare for one of the, your first ever major sermons uh, in your life. 
it would be pretty deep if you had that much time to prepare, right? This is considered Jesus' first major sermon. Now, before that, he, he was baptized in the River Jordan, right? And, and then he, the Holy Spirit came. I'm giving you a little context. And then he fasted for 40 days. And then he picked his disciples. And then he started healing like in Capernaum and, and Naphtali and, he, and all, all these cities. And he started to do some things. He started getting a crowd. So he said, I have a great idea. I'm going to go up on this mountain and begin to speak the truths that, will, that is revolutionary to our walk with God. Now, think about it. God, Jesus, Jesus could have picked anything to say, but he chose these words that we're about to read to start. But I want to give you first a teaser on what we're going to go through. Now, this is not today. This is going to be, uh, I've broken down Jesus' sermon. You know how if, if you've ever preached, there's like an outline, right, for preachers. Well, could you imagine he, uh, the, Jesus the preacher? Come on, somebody. Could you imagine Jesus the preacher, Jesus preaching, uninterrupted, kingdom bombs, kingdom truths, and so I, I read this throughout the years, and I broke this down to like, a, like a seven major uh, realities. You're going to look at it real quick. Look at the, the timeline of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm just gonna, this is just a teaser. This is not, I'm, I'm only going to talk about one, a fraction of number one today, just like, like a fraction of number one, okay? The, the, the timeline, again, this is more like a preaching Bible study, all right? I'm going to take you deep, Amen. You're going to see the Matthew 5 through 12 is broken down. In his sermon, he talked about the Beatitudes. Now, I'm going to talk about what the Beatitudes mean. You guys are going to shout, all right? And then there's an invitation for greatness. He talks about salt and light, and he's inviting people to greatness. It's okay to be great in the sight of the Lord if you have the right motive. So let me tell you, Jesus does invite you to greatness. It's just not the greatness that you may think is great. Salt and light, he talks about. Now, listen, this is going to be deep. This is probably going to be a month from now. Avoiding what I call the six spiritual toxins. This is all in his sermon, all right? Jesus identifies six poisons or weeds of the heart that he, that he passionately asks us to avoid that will destroy our walk with God. That's, that's later. Just, just stay tuned, all right? Then he's calling us, part of his sermon is he changes things up and he releases disciplines for us to adopt. And there's four major disciplines that are foundational for every Christian to have, every Christian to have. But most of us, we are the weakest in these disciplines, all right? So he talks about that. And he talks about the lamp of the body just for about two verses. But that phrase is so deep. Because he says the lamp of the body is the eye. I'm not going to get into that, but he talks about that in his sermon. And then, listen to me, for those of you who suffer from worry, anxiety, God loves us so much, he dedicated 10 to 11 verses in his sermon on the mount about overcoming anxiety and fear and worry. He dedicates 11 verses on kingdom principles on identifying worry and anxiety, and he nails it and he deals with it. Some people, it's not just casting things out all the time. you got to get the word inside of you. Come on, say amen. You just can't cast out something and, and expect it to say if you don't have scriptural knowledge to base that truth upon. God wants truth in you so that you could expose the lies so you could keep living free. Come on, say amen. He talks about those of you suffering from worry, fear, anxiety, there's hope for you. Jesus, in his epic sermon, deals with it very passionately. And then lastly, he ends it in Matthew 7 with some very strong warnings. You know that I love what Enrique did. Warnings are not whippings. Warnings are not, I don't like you. Warnings is, I love you. Be careful. Who does not love their children and does that every now and says, be careful, right? Or, hey, who are you hanging with, Right? It is important that we understand. So with that said, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read this, and we're going to go right into it. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 5, uh, we're going to get into it. Then I'm going to give you an a, 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 a overview of these Beatitudes, all right? Look what it says. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, in the New King James, first major, major sermon that Jesus preached is here. And seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened up his mouth, and he taught them, saying, now listen to this. This almost sounds, when I first read this, I'm like, this almost sounds boring. It's not boring at all. But it almost sounds like, what? 
This is your first thing that you're going to say in front of everybody. Look, but it's so deep and so foundational. Look what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Everybody say poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Move God, glory to God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I can't wait till I get to that beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Little, little foreshadow is not just in the by and by that he's talking about. He's talking about in this lifetime how you'll see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Oh, my God. Blessed are those who are persecuted, listen, for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. Everyone say amen. What I just read is a classical description of what many of us call the eight Beatitudes. Now listen to me. Jesus pronounces or proclaims eight specific blessings to those, to those people who yield to these principles. I want to give you a heads up on, on, on the Beatitudes before I talk about one today. Because just one is going to wreck us today and it's enough for a whole sermon. But I have to give you some context about the eight Beatitudes, okay? Listen to me. The eight Beatitudes are like seeds that God wants to put in the garden of your heart. So it could blossom. And these seeds are not something that we just, we just get. They're things that we become. Now you have to understand the context. Jesus is talking about eight specific blessings to people who yield to these realities, which means not every believer is going to be blessed automatically like Jesus said in this verse. Just because you're a Christian, this does not apply just because you're a Christian. There's something that you got to do to inherit the blessing. In this case, because he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. That means there's some that are not. Come on. So these eight Beatitudes, the first thing I want you to see, look at this first point. The contextual meaning of the word blessed, hallelujah, in this scriptures are, is the word happy. Everybody say happy. The Greek word for blessed is happy. And the biblical definition for happy is not having a lot of things, it's having a vibrant heart. That's what happiness is biblically. God says, I want you to be happy, not by having uh, the blessing of a lot of things, although I want to make sure I, I pause and say, God is into blessing us with things. God wants to bless us, but in this particular context, what he is saying is, blessed are the poor in spirit. What he's trying to say is, those of us that are blessed are happy. But what is happy here? Happy means a vibrant heart before God. You want to be happy? You want to be truly joyful? It's not so much being blessed only in the material things, because Jesus said, what profits a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So you have to understand that the, con the contextual meaning of the word blessed when he pronounces eight blessings actually means happy, but it actually means vibrant. Happy, vibrant. Blessed are those, listen, vibrant are those who are poor in spirit. Alive, awakened are those. Happy. Listen, I don't know about you, but I could have a lot of things in, in my life and still be empty from the Holy Ghost inside of me. I can have a lot of things and still be empty. So what, what God is trying to say, first of all, is what is really happiness? Happiness is having a vibrant heart with God. How many of you had a lot of things but not had a vibrant heart with God? How did you feel? <laughs> now, if you have a lot of things and a vibrant heart with God, you're blessed, blessed, blessed. And God wants that. The second thing about the Beatitudes that I want to share with you before I go into it is that these are not necessarily things we get or obtain. They're things, they're things that we become. We become. By yielding to the principles of these Beatitudes, we become poor in spirit. We become hungry. We become meek. 
Remember, he said, blessed are the meek in the third beatitude, okay? That means that, so I'm going to get to my next point. This is very key for you to understand. As I've studied the Beatitudes for years, it seems as though the Beatitudes are progressive in nature. That means you can't have one in fullness without the other one being there before. Oh, this is good stuff. This is all just review now. I mean, sorry, this is all just introduction. The Beatitudes, if you're going to understand the power of these Beatitudes, it is foundational for us to know that they are progressive in nature. You have to have one uh, uh, mature in you so that the next following one could sustain itself. That is why Jesus, whatever he says, he's so intentional. He didn't just say, mm, I don't know, let's just say porn spirit, that sounds good. He is very, he's God Almighty, he knows what he's talking about. The reason he chose porn spirit first is because there's a reason he chose porn spirit at first. And you're going to understand in a couple of minutes why he did. Because without us being porn spirit, I don't believe we can have all the other beatitudes through us and in us at a strong, vibrant way because we will mess everything up. We have to have this first foundation uh, um, strong. Now, the last one is this before I actually go to my, to my main point of discussing the first beatitude. If you're going to understand the Sermon on the Mount, you have to know it's, progress, it's a progressive uh, uh, thing building on each other, okay? But you also have to understand that the promises, hear me now, this is deep, the promises and the blessings that are bestowed to these individuals, are you ready? Are conditional in context, not unconditional promises. They are not unconditional. In other words, every Christian that just says, I love you, Jesus, does not qualify to become these beatitudes. Because otherwise, Jesus would not say, blessed are those if they do this. Blessed are those if they, are, if they mourn. Because if it was for everybody, Jesus would have no need to specify the things that we need to yield to in order for to us to become these realities. So what do I mean by unconditional promises? Unconditional promises, for those of you who don't know, is like the love of God. Unconditional promises, you don't have to do anything to get God to love you more. Or you don't, if you do less, God doesn't love you less. If you do more, God doesn't love you more. If you do less, God doesn't love you less. Come on, say amen. Right? So watch this. Watch this. This is key. Because... Uh, there's, there's several examples in Scripture of a conditional promise. See, the church doesn't like conditional promises because we have to do something. The church doesn't like conditional promises because although there are promises, they don't feel like promises. Because you got to posture yourself in order to receive the benefits of those promises. We love the mercy of God. We love because his mercy endures forever. We got to do nothing. We love, the, we love the love of God, the blessing of God. We love the favor of God even though sometimes that is conditional as well too. I'm going to give you an example of conditional promises that we all quote and we don't know it's good. We, we, we pray for revival all the time, but we have no clue that it's a conditional promise. That word if, everybody say if, is a conditional phrase. And you know what God says the main recipe of revival is? If my people who are called by my name, church, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive them of their sins, and I will heal their land. Newsflash for the church. There's not going to be any healing of the land, not any being forgiven of sins, not hearing from heaven if we don't humble ourselves and pray. If we don't turn from our wicked ways and if we don't seek his face, you have to understand revival doesn't come automatically and it doesn't come in your heart automatically. And you're not going to get revival by sitting and doing nothing or criticizing everything or being offended or being angry. Or You're not going to do that. You have to posture yourself in humility. You're not going to get it. In the New Testament, there's a great example, too, because you say, oh, that's Old Testament. No, in the New Testament, even above the Beatitudes, there's a lot of conditional promises. You know what? It, okay, here's another one. Listen, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Watch this. Whatever you bind on earth, come on, I will bind in heaven. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. Whatever you loose on earth, I will loose in heaven. In other words, if you don't bind on earth, God won't bind in heaven. If you don't loose on earth, God won't loose in heaven. It's a conditional promise. Even his authority, he's waiting on us. Lord, why, why isn't this happening? Because I've given you the keys. Listen, and you're not using it. Glory to God. 
If I give you the keys of a brand new Lamborghini, glory to God, and all you do is admire the key, you will never know the thrill and exhilaration of what it means to drive in a Lamborghini if all you do is waiting for an angel to go in and put you into the Lamborghini and start the Lamborghini for you. You have to get those keys. You have to get <laughs> face your fear of that fast road stuff, whatever it is. And you got to put that key in the ignition, and you got to drive it. You will never experience the thrill of in having a Lamborghini unless you go and drive it yourself. Why do I say all that? Because Jesus said you're not going to get these blessings in the eight beatitudes automatically. You got to do something. The church don't like that because we think it's all works, it's all grace, it's all works. No, 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 no. Don't get this twisted. This is not earning your salvation through works. This is posturing your heart to receive the blessing of the Lord, a specific blessing that he says, if you are yielded to this, then I will give you this benefit. Right? So it leads me to the point that I'm trying to say. The first ever beatitude that he says is this. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to say that again. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. That means it's a condition attached to it. That means we have to find out what poor in spirit is in order for us to reap the blessing that Jesus gave us. Come on. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 12. So everybody say poor in spirit. So buckle your seatbelts now. I, that was my introduction, okay? Let me start by what poor in spirit is not, okay? Poor in spirit is not having a low self-esteem. Poor in spirit is not uh, a condemnational approach of a view of yourself. Poor in spirit is not false humility. <laughs> false humility is look at how humble I am on the name of humbleness. All right? No, and nor does it mean you're more blessed if you're poor financially. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Come on. It does not mean, what poor in spirit mean, does not mean is that you're more blessed if you are poor. That is not what God is saying. Amen now. Now watch this. Watch this. What does it mean? Are you ready? Now, I want you to be gripped by this. This is going to grip us, but it's good. Put this slide up. Here's what poor in spirit means. Oh, God. It's a revelation and an awareness that we are absolutely bankrupt in ourselves of anything good apart from God living in us by the Holy Spirit. It's an awareness. It's a revelation that I have nothing good in me apart from God in me. It is a bankruptcy. It's a revelation that I am empty without God. I am nothing without God. And I can't do this Christian faith on my own. I can't do it in my own flesh. I can't do it in my own self. Even when I say I'm going to breathe the word and I fail. And when I say I'm going to do right, I'm not going to do right. When I do it on my own, I'm going to fail every time. And I need the invitation every day of my life of the Holy Spirit. Because there's nothing good in me. Other than the goodness of God. John chapter 15. Look at what John 15 says. See, I told you it's going to get you in here. And I want you to understand. It's an emptying out of yourself. Porn spirit is, de- is, is basically saying that uh, the, the, it's a revelation that we don't have the spiritual strength to establish godliness. In our own heart. None of us have the spiritual strength to be holy or to even live right or to act right in church or in the Lord without the help of the Holy Spirit. The problem with the church is you're trying to live right on your own. You're trying, you're trying to be faithful on your own. You're trying to read on your own. You have to empty yourself and say, I am poor in spirit. I am nothing. Abide in me as I in you, and the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Now watch this, watch this. Keep going. Look what it says. Look at the next verse. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I am him and bears much fruit. Say this with me. For without me you can do nothing. Without me you can do nothing. 
You know why some of us are struggling in condemnation? Is because we keep trying to live right through the works of the law instead of through the Holy Spirit. And we're trying to prove how spiritual we are sometimes because that is exposing the need for healing in our lives. If you find yourself always giving a spiritual resume to everyone, you probably don't have a revelation of being poor in spirit because you're trying to get, it's an orphan spirit that needs to be healed. If you're giving your resume, your spiritual resume of how deep you are all the time, of how, how much the Lord is using you all the time, the greatest thing that God could ever do in your life is not of your calling, is that of character. And God, through the Beatitudes, is trying to establish deep character in all of us. Look at, look at this quote that I read years ago by Mike Bickle. It said, quote, look at this up there. Being poor in spirit, put that up there, states that we have no confidence in our own natural abilities. Oh, glory to God. This should set somebody free right here. To obey God. We have no confidence in our natural abilities to obey and serve God without the constant help of the Holy Spirit. Being poor in spirit has to do with a deep level of humility. That it's residing in you. Listen to me. At all times. Not self-hate. But it's a view of yourself that's humble. You have to view yourself humble. Because listen. Although God loves us. We have to be careful with the we're all that in a bag of chips mentality. Because then it's all about look at my anointing. Look at my gifting. Come on somebody. Look at my teaching ability. Look at my worst singing ability. And you don't say it out loud. But you're saying you know I could do that better than that person. Come on, say amen. Listen to this. You have to see yourself humble. It It doesn't matter if other people see you humble. You have to see yourself humble. Remember when the prophet Nathan went to Saul? What did he say? He goes, when you were small in your own eyes, were you not the king of all Israel? In other words, when you viewed yourself humble, poor in spirit, that you needed God, that, that, that you, you, you had nothing good in you other than God, were you not the king of Israel? But now you elevated yourself. Here's a little clue. The, the direct opposition of being poor in spirit is the strength of self. It's the strength of yourself. Jeremiah says, curses everyone who, who trusts in man. Right? That's, that's what he said. But this is important because we have to have a, a humble view of ourselves because here's the beautiful thing about being poor in spirit. Listen, zoom in on me. Because poor in spirit, once we yield to this truth, it keeps us, it makes us completely dependent on God. If we realize that we adopt being poor in spirit... And allowing the Holy Spirit to live through us and to realize that although we have some great gifts, that none of that will achieve godliness other than the help of the Holy Spirit inside of us. You, you, have, to, you have to get this because if you don't get this in Revelation, you will live in condemnation trying to prove, trying to prove, trying to do would have set me free years ago when I saw this revelation. And listen, here's, I'm going to give you a couple scriptures now in the Bible to give us principles of what I just talked about, the principle of dependence on God, of the emptying out, the revelation that we are bankrupt. What does that mean when you're bankrupt? You yearn to be filled. If you're bankrupt, that means you have utter dependence on the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to give you some scriptures of some principles. I'm going to say, and then, then there's going to be one or two that's going to be heavy, all right? But I'm not attacking you. I'm telling you up front, I'm not attacking you. I feel the fear of the Lord with this. Not now, but I'll tell you when. Look at John chapter 3, verse 30, one of my favorite verses. I write this all the time. I've been doing that for years. Every time I write it, uh, I write a birthday card, I sign John 3.30. I've been doing that since my youth pastor days. Every time I, I sign a birthday card or sign, I, I, I put John 3.30. Listen, John, look at me. John the Baptist was great. How many know he was great? As a, as a matter of fact, I'm not just quoting it. I'm not just saying the Bible said he was great in the sight of the Lord. It, so it's actually biblical. He was great. He led people to repentance. But when he saw Jesus, here's a little clue. How do you get poor in spirit? By beholding and gazing at the majesty and the beauty of God and compare it to your own life. Not in a sense of condemnation, but in a sense of, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. 
He is awesome. He's beautiful. I need to get out of the way. I, get, I need to get my attitude out of the way. I need to get my problems out of the way. I need to empty myself so God can use me. God could use empty vessels. If you're full with other things, he can't fill you. you got to empty yourself. That's what poor spirit is. Look at John 3.30. Listen, he was cool, right? Everything was cool. The moment John the Baptist saw Jesus, what did he say? I must decrease and he must increase. I must decrease and he must increase. You know what that means? That means John the Baptist, without verbalizing it, started realizing the revelation of becoming poor in spirit. Poor in spirit is Ha ha, he must increase, I must decrease. Which leads me to a point. Listen to me. This is a foreshadow. Every time, how do you get the poor in spirit reality to start being active inside of you? Start beholding the power, the beauty, the majesty of God in a personal way. And you let me tell you, the automatic response is that you will be poor in spirit. Now watch this. You, you can say, well, I'm going to be poor in spirit. No, no, no. There's a recipe how to become poor in spirit. You welcome it by realizing, A, you have nothing to give. God is not impressed with your talents and your gifts, right? He's not. But that, but that when you see his glory and beauty, it will produce something out of your heart. Are you ready for this? Look at this. Look at this. Isaiah chapter 6. Oh, this is so good. Darren, we've been saying this in the, in, in the prayer times. Isaiah chapter 6, we've read it but haven't read it here. Look at the prophet Isaiah, mighty man of God, mighty man of pro- uh, prophet. Look at, look at poor in spirit without even, you know, how, what's, that, what's that thing that young people do? Tell me that you're Spanish without, without telling me you're Spanish or whatever. Tell me that you're La- Latino without telling me. So, so this is telling us that we're poor in spirit without saying you're poor in spirit. This right here, what I'm going to tell you, there's, there's not a phrase that says poor in spirit here. There will be. But in this thing, look at how beholding God's glory changes something of the posture of the heart to say, I am really in need of you now. I thought I was all that. I thought I was prophet Isaiah. But when you showed up, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up on a throne. And the train of his robe filled his temple. Above it stood seraphim. Look what he's beholding now. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah is beholding this happening. Look at this. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. Now look at me before I read this last verse. Notice what happened when he encountered the glory of God. Look at the posture. He didn't whip out his cell phone. They didn't have his cell phone out there. But he didn't whip out whatever and say, look at the glory cloud. Look, oh my God, and post it on YouTube. You know what his response was? Woe is me. Listen to me. For I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of, a pe- of people with unclean lips. Oh, my God. Watch this now. Listen. Watch this now. And I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What happened when his eyes saw the King? He went into poor in spirit transformation. He said, woe is me. I'm empty. I have nothing to give. I am a mighty prophet, but compared to what I just saw, I need that in my life. I need the presence of God in my life. I cannot fulfill this in just my accuracy. Let me tell you why I love Isaiah. Isaiah is one of my my favorite prophets of the whole Bible. You know why? Because in my opinion, he's one of the most accurate prophets that ever lived. He was so accurate, one of the only prophets that not only prophesied the crucifixion in Isaiah 52 and 53. In Isaiah 7, he, had, he prophesied the birth of the Savior, not only a Savior, but through a virgin. He actually said, he actually said in Isaiah 7, 14, he said, and the virgin will conceive. Very specific. Hundreds of years before the Messiah came. Listen, I'm going somewhere. 
He was a mighty prophet. He was a prophet that was not a novice. He was not somebody new. He was mature, okay? And he was accurate. If, he's, if we're not careful, we could allow the maturity in our heart to avoid the blessing of being poor in spirit in our life. How many times do I preach a message? Oh, I already heard that. I don't need that. That's not poor in spirit. I'm not listening to you. There's some people that are tuning me out right now. I don't know why. But that, you, listen, get a grip. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. Stop it. I'm doing it for your good. What good is it that you're in the whole service the whole time? You're looking down and you're offended and you're, uh, you're, and you're uh, distracted. Don't. It's not about you. He, he, here's the thing. Being poor in spirit is the emptying completely of you. That's what poor in spirit is. So Isaiah, I love him because he prophesied so clearly. But you know what? The other reason I love him, now hear me now. This is key. The other reason I love Isaiah is because in his writings, he talked about uh, the need for humility and contriteness in order to experience the fullness and the presence of God. He actually says what I call agents of attraction. Everybody say agents of attraction. Come on, say agents of attraction. Come on. Okay, you know, you know why I say that? Because look, look at what, what I'm gonna, uh, uh, about to read in, in a second. I'm about to read something in a second, all right? Now, uh, if, in, in the natural, uh, what attracted you to your wife? Think about it, men that are married, okay? Or, 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 or wives, what attracted you to your husband? And, yeah, there's several things that attracted. They're called agents of attraction. It may have been his good-looking beard. It may, come on, Derek. Come on, somebody. All right? It could have been, <laughs> it could have been, it could have been, listen, uh, uh, his physical stature or her physical stature. But I hope you look deeper than that. I hope you looked at their character. I hope you looked how they treated their mom. I hope you looked, uh, I'm going somewhere. I hope you looked at their humility, their inward parts, not just their outward parts. Let me tell you something before I give you this revelation. I guarantee you, if I interview every wife or every husband, yeah, there will be some physical attributes, but I guarantee you there's at least one attribute that they saw inwardly that attracted them. Come on, Holy Ghost, right? It may be your patience. It may, ha- it may have been the way you pray. It may have been the way you cry in the presence of the Lord. It may, ha- it may have been your quietness. It may have been your discipline. Why do I say that? Because are you ready for this? Isaiah gives us the cheat sheet on how to get God to look at us more in a more concentrated way. Please hear me. That's theologically right. Because the Bible says many, the Bible says, my eyes run to and fro throughout all the earth to see whose hearts are loyal to me. So even though he loves everybody, there's times where there's agents of attraction that we could posture our heart in such a way that it attracts God to look at us in a more concentrated way. My goodness. And that's nothing compared to when you were dating and you kind of set yourself up. Come on, Frank, you remember. You were setting up and you're, you're dating, uh, you're DJing. You're like, I'm going to do the best DJ for Rosie. And Rosie's like, oh, my God. Right? Or while he's cutting DJ in New York, he goes... He winks at you, right? Those are small little things. But what, what was it, don't tell me, what attracted you to him, right? There's an agent of attraction. But watch this. Spiritually, we become more attractive to God in a concentrated way when we posture our heart to be poor in spirit. If I were to tell you there is a way to get God to look at you in a more concentrated way and get his attention in a more concentrated way because of your heart, the posture of your heart. Hey, listen, where do you think we get that from? When we look at our wives, we're like, okay, okay, I I want that one as my wife, right? There There is a posture spiritually that are agents of attraction. And if you were, if you were taking notes, this is gold right now. This is gold because I'm, I'm going to give you the answers to the test to get God to go like this. I want to visit that person. Look at their heart. You say, I don't believe that. I'm glad you asked because in Isaiah, that same Isaiah that encountered the Lord in Isaiah 66, at the very end of his life, and at the very end of the chapter of the book in Isaiah 66, the last chapter, I want you to see the revelation that Isaiah the prophet got in order for us to experience 
a gaze from the Lord in a more intentional way. Are you ready? Are you ready? Because I don't know about you. I want God to look at me in an intentional way. Isaiah 66, look at this. Oh, this is so good. Verse 1 and 2, are you getting something? Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? Listen, and where is the place of my rest for all those things my hand has made? God said, I made all that stuff. I don't need all that stuff. Look at this. And all those things exist, says the Lord. I want you to look at this real quick, real good. But on this one will I look upon. On this one will I look upon. On him who is poor and contrite of spirit. And he who trembles at my word. On this one will I look upon, says the Lord. When I find someone posturing their heart and saying, I can't do it. You are my all in all. In him we live and move and have our being. It's not about my position. It's not about, that's why I am the way I am. I don't have bodyguards all around me. I am touchable. I'm reachable because I know I'm nothing. I am nothing. I may be your password, but I am nobody special. I struggle just like you. So that's why I don't have all these little things, because I can't get godliness outside of my emptiness and dependence on God. God wants to empty us this morning. God wants us to stop striving to do right and invite the person of the Holy Spirit to be in control of your life. To stop, to stop pumping your gifting and stop pumping your things up and stop promoting yourself in the spirit realm because nothing that you do to promote yourself will be accepted by God's kingdom. Listen, listen, Isaiah 66, do you see that? I, listen, I understand. I'm going to get the word to me in a second. I understand us wanting to look at God. That's a no-brainer. I understand that because when you read the scriptures, even the four living creatures have eyes all over. They're constantly staring at God. I understand if even angelic beings and spiritual beings constantly are in awe of God. I understand when humanity wants to do that. But what is shocking to me is when God looks on us in a specific way because of the posture of our heart, the posture of humility. The posture of emptying ourselves out. Look at this slide. Look at this slide. The Lord will look upon those who are poor in spirit and those who tremble at his word. Oh, thank you, Lord. Now do you see why God starts with blessed are poor in spirit? He has to start with this because everything else will add onto this foundation. Look at this next slide. Our journey to a vibrant heart and a complete dependence on the Lord is by embracing the revelation of becoming poor in spirit. I want to share something with you that in the New Testament that I read, that I've read, been read for years. And every time I read it, it's, it really strikes my heart because to me, it's another example of show me that you're poor in spirit without saying you're poor in spirit. And it's about Jesus himself. Jesus himself given a parable of, of, of two people. I'm about to say two people. Now, you want to see a story that, that the poor in spirit is written all over one of them? I want you to see the response when we deserve something and God doesn't give it to us, when we, we realize our need for God, it will propel us to a great height in God. That's why Zerubbabel, I mean, Zechariah, he said, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, right? Now, look at this. Yes, we have to have cooperation. Please don't get this mixed up. What I'm talking about is substituting yourself, your gifting, your resume as something to be of value in your walk with God. Because most of the time it's only to please man, not to please God. Right? So, so look at this. Luke chapter 18. You read that with me. Luke chapter 18. Can we put the fans on? Because I'm getting hot in here. Glory to God. Somebody put the fans on. Everybody say a Pharisee. Everybody say tax collector. Say Pharisee. Tax collector. See, with us in our modern age, that, those words, we kind of see them at historical days, times. But fast forward, if you had a time machine and you could go back, a Pharisee was a religious leader of the day, sometimes very respected in those days before Jesus came. It was all do, do, do. Always remember this. Poor in spirit, the opposite of poor in spirit, are you ready for this? Is a spirit of religion. Listen. 
The spirit of religion says you got to do, you got to do, you got to do, you got to fast in order to get God to look at you. Notice that Isaiah didn't say, I got to fast to get God to look at me. No, he said, those who are contrite and poor in spirit, God will look upon you. But look at the Pharisee, who, look at the difference in what I'm about to read. The Pharisee who, by the way, says things that are accurate. He does things, righteous deeds are accurate, but he's trying to get God's approval by all his righteous deeds. Hear me now. Some of you, without verbalizing it, you try so hard to do so good because you want God to look to be favorable for you. So you say, I'm going to fast once a week. God, I want you to see that I'm fasting. Lord, you see that I'm giving to the poor. I'm giving to the poor. I'm trying. I'm trying to do good. Hey, I'm, Lord, I'm trying to do this. And listen, you see me hugging people and helping me people. That's the wrong motive. If you're trying to get brownie points in the church... <laughs> By your spiritual resume, you will never go far. You'll get burned out and offended. Luke 18, look what it says. Now, why do I say tax collector? Because tax collector in those days were considered the worst sinners. Now, I want you to see this, okay? Watch this. I'm almost done. Also, I told you I had to go long today because of the foundation. Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. Hello, foreshadow. Everything that I've just been speaking about, poor in spirit, this is the opposite of it. He spoke a parable about those who trusted in themselves. I'm going to let that hit you because I feel the Holy Ghost on it. Those who trusted in their own righteous deeds. Ready? That they were righteous and they despised others. Two men. Everybody say two men. They went up to the temple to pray. This is Jesus speaking. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. I want you to see this. This is so powerful. The Pharisee stood and prayed. Thus, himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like this other man. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers. He's actually praying that to God. God, thank you that I am not like this sinner person over here. Listen, listen, he actually meant it with his heart. That Pharisee meant that, fra- that example Jesus was saying. That Pharisee, he's actually meaning, God, I, I'm doing things right. You need, you need to understand that I deserve a blessing because I'm not like a sinner, like an adulterer, like this person over here, or even this tax collector. Now watch what he says. I fast twice a week. Look at me. Look at me. Is that true? Yes. Pharisees fasted often as duty. Not to get closer to God. I fast twice a week. I give tithe of all that I possess. That's also true. I do this, Lord. I do it. You better see this, Lord. You know that I'm doing it for you, right? No posture of changing the heart. No humility. I do this for you. Let me just modernize it. Lord, you know that I'm on the worship team. You need to give me a little break and bless me a little bit now. Uh, Lord, you know that I'm serving at Raising Arrows. Come on, you know, when is the blessing here coming? Hey, I deserve it. You know how many times I used to say that and God had to rebuke me when I was going through my pain and I'm still going through my pain? Look at all that I'm doing for you, Lord. Lord, I'm preaching to people. And God's like, silent, silent, silent. Why? Because I was not poor in spirit. Because the whole time I'm saying, Lord, in my heart, Lord, do you see what I'm doing for the people? I keep showing up for the people. God says, that's a a spirit of religion. You're wanting me to bless you because you're working for me? You want me to bless you and heal you? That's your contingency? That's my relationship with you now? You used to cry at my presence. Now that's what we get. That's all I get from you is I fast twice a week. I give tithe. All that was true. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That man wasn't even saved, and he had more knowledge than that Pharisee. That Pharisee, look at this. Look what Jesus said. I tell you the truth, that this tax collector went down to his house more justified than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. He who humbles himself will be exalted. He who humbles himself will be exalted, and he who exalts himself will be humbled. Will be humbled. 
Sometimes humility comes through accepting the word of the Lord. I've been in times when preaching where I'm preaching the word of the Lord and people are like this. And they're stone cold and they're hard. And let me tell you something. You're not doing yourself or me any favors. Jesus honored the tax collector more than he honored the religious leader. Why? Because the tax collector knew his true spiritual condition. That he was in need of a savior. That he was in need of a redeemer. The Pharisee said, look at all the stuff I'm doing. You better now release that hand of blessing on me because I've been doing this. Here's a newsflash for all of us. Stop asking God to do stuff for you because you do stuff for him. That is not a relationship with God. That is not a true relationship. A true relationship seeks to give, not to get. And it seeks to surrender. When you surrender and be poor in spirit, God says, I can work with that individual. I can work with that tax collector. That's why Paul says not many wise are called, not many noble are called. But God chooses the weak things of the world to confound the wise. I'm like three, that's me. I have two legs up and two hands up. People say, you? Yes, me. They say, I didn't choose myself. You know why? Because I said, I have nothing. I have nothing. And I have to realize that God owes me nothing. If I preach the rest of my life in pain, he already did what he needed to do in my life. He already saved me. He already delivered me. He already set me free. That's poor in spirit. Okay, Lord, I get it. Emptying out of myself. It's a process. And God says, now I'll look on you. Now I'll use you. Now I'm going to bring healing to, through others to, through you. Hallelujah. Oh, God. I need the worship team to get up here, please. Jesus. We need to be poor in spirit. Opposite of poor in spirit is pride. Please hear me. I'm not looking at anybody. Pride is not only your spiritual knowledge. Pride is not yielding to the process. I'm going to say that again. Pride is not just your spiritual knowledge, your, able, your ability to quote all the scriptures or, 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 or the fact that you can have it right. No, that's not just pride. Pride is your silent speaking. When you don't say anything, but you're saying, I'm not going to accept that. I'm not going to receive that. I'm not going to do that. I'm too upset. I'm, the, the trials are happening in my life or this is happening in my life. I'm not going to do it. That is pride. God wants you to encounter him again so that like Isaiah, you can say, oh, my goodness. I need to humble myself. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, it doesn't happen automatically. You and I have to make a shift today of emptying ourselves of our spiritual resume and allowing God to take complete control of our lives in every area of our lives so that we no longer justify what we get from God by what we do for God or by our experience. Thank you, Lord. Look at this slide. This is going to slap you in the face, all right? A life that promotes our own strength and efforts to, own, to earn a certain spiritual status in the kingdom of God is absolutely rejected by the Lord. Take a picture of that. Take a picture of that. A life that promotes, that promotes our own strength and efforts. To earn a certain spiritual status in the kingdom is absolutely rejected by the Lord. I love you enough to say this. God is not concerned with your status. God is not concerned with how good you have it together on the outside. He knows the real you. (laughs) What poor in spirit means is just accept that. Because when you accept that, you cry out to God because it's uh, emptying yourself and it produces utter dependence on God. The more you do things on your own strength, the more you try to portray that you're more spiritual than you really are, you will never get the true help that you really need. Because you will always hide behind the facade of I am strong and spiritual, I have a position, I have knowledge, I have this, and not know. Okay, okay, yes, Lord, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that. Okay, I'm going to give you that last scripture. This last scripture, I did not want to give you. I did not want to give it to you. I was in my office, and I was studying. 
And I heard the Holy Spirit say, turn to this scripture. And I knew that. You know when you know that? You know when you know there's like a, a cut scripture? I'm like, Lord, I don't want them to think that I'm beating them over the head. I said, Lord, I'm not doing that. And so, so I turned to there, right? And, and because, because being poor in spirit eliminates the strength of self from trying to appear more spiritual than what we really are. Eliminating the strength of self, that's that last point. Eliminating the strength of self, put it up there, guys. Eliminates the strength of self, sorry, being poor in spirit eliminates the strength of self from trying to appear more spiritual than we really are. Poor in spirit is the attitude of saying, I got nothing except the Lord. My experience in church does not give me an extra status. This is what poor in spirit says. My experience and the knowledge of scriptures does not automatically translate to me being closer to the Lord. Do you hear what I said? I know people that know scriptures left and right, and they're, they're not close to the Lord. I know preachers that can preach the paint off the, these walls much better than me. But that doesn't relate them to be closer to the Lord. That's why you and I could have a gift and be in outright rebellion and operate in that gift in our rebellion and people will feel the presence of the Lord. Why? Because in that moment, you're doing what you, God has created you to do. Even in your backslidden state, God, God's people will feel his presence. And the deception is, I don't need to change. The deception is, look at all the people crying when I pick up a mic. Yet you're in fornication. You're in private fornication. Yet when you do your gifting or you're gossiping about the pastor or the leaders and no one knows it and you're, and you're causing division in the church, yet when you, when you speak, all heaven loses. That's a deception because you're, you're, listen, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. They're irrevocable. I was sitting, true story, years ago, this is coming to me, years ago I was in, uh, uh, I, was, I, I left the youth pastor position, I don't know how, but years before that where I met my wife and I was sitting in the back of the seat of the, of the, of the, of the church, small Spanish church, and I saw someone who I, I knew was living a very immoral life and was not repentive of it. They were living a very immoral life sexually. And I got there, my hands were locked like this because the pastor was allowing him to come. Listen to me. Listen to me. I'm, I'm leading to my last point. And my arms were closed as this man, a young man who was a singer, was living an absolutely fornicated through life. I know because they told me they didn't, he, didn't, he didn't want to repent of it. But yet, he had a gift. The pastor wanted to honor his gift and brought him up front to sing a song. And I'm sitting back there going, how dare he do that? How, doesn't he know that he's, his lifestyle is unrepentant? I sat in the back, no lie. This, this young man began to sing, and I felt the presence of God. And I began to cry. And I'm like, go back in that tear. Te what's going on here? I'm not crying now. I'm not crying. You're crying. I'm not crying. And I said, literally, I, I rest like, what is going on? I don't understand this. I don't understand this. Why do I feel the presence of God? And he says, because right now, it's my mercy because I want to touch my people. If I could use a donkey, I could use anyone. But that's not a sign of the approval of my spirit upon them. It's not a sign of my approval. They're just being used in an area that I call them to be. They, they're fornicating and they're using it for the world. But at this very moment, they're doing what I've called them to do. And I'm allowing the presence of God to touch my people. But it's not an, a sign that I've approved of them. That is the deception of trying to do things in your own strength. You look at how gifted you are. You better be careful, sir. You better be careful, daughter. You better be careful, that you don't slip into unknowingly. That you don't slip into, hey, listen, you know what? I could keep running this machine and no one would ever know because people are still crying. People are still getting convicted. People are still getting saved while I'm having private sins in my own life undealt with. That is not poor in spirit. That's pride. And it's hiding behind your gifting, hiding behind your knowledge and not emptying yourself and say, I need. You know what? Somebody, I feel this from the Lord. You know what you need to be poor in spirit? Let go of your reputation. Let go of your, I am good. I, that's Pharisee. Well, I have to hold it together. I have to hold it together. Because, you know, I'm a leader here. Or I, I, I influence people. Okay. 
If you're holding it together because God is strengthening you, then praise God. But if you're holding it together to try to portray something that you're not, you're never going to get free. This is a scripture that, please hear me. Man, this is so good. I was in my office and the Lord said, turn to that scripture. And I said, no, Lord, I, I know what you're trying to do here. So I'm going to read it out of obedience to the Lord. And I'm going to ask you to listen to this last scripture under the fear of the Lord. And when I read the scripture, some of us have read this a million times. I never connected the dots that being lukewarm is a direct result of a lack of revelation of being poor in spirit. I never connected the two. I just thought, well, one person has one foot in the world and one foot with God. They're lukewarm. God's going to spit it out. That's, that's enough to scare you already. But when you keep reading, I said, oh, my goodness. And I said, Lord, if you want me to read this message, let me feel your presence, right? And I read it, and I felt the presence of God. So I did something else, then I went back to it. Okay, a second time. If you want me to read the scripture to RCC, let me feel your presence when I read it. And I read it, and I felt this warm presence enter my office. So what I'm about to read is for RCC. Revelation 3, verse 14. Some of us, we don't even know that we're lukewarm because we're hiding behind our gifting. We don't accept it. We're hiding behind our talent. We're hiding behind our status. Watch this now. Please hear me. And the angel of the Lord to the church of Laodiceans write. This is Jesus writing to the churches. These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. I can't believe that statement. Jesus is saying, I'd rather you be straight sinner than have one foot in the world and one foot with God. I'd rather you be a straight sinner. That's, that, that's, that shows because he wants all of you, not some of you. Husbands, wives, you want all of your husbands, not some of your husbands. It's not okay for, it's not okay for your husband to love you and love another woman. It's not okay for your wife's husband to love you and love another man. You would not be okay with it. Why do you think God is? Listen to me. This is where a lack of porn spirit came. And it jumped on me. And I said, oh, my God. He said, so then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out my mouth. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. We know that verse, right? We know that verse. Right? It kind of scares us, right? That's where we stop. Look at where a revelation of a lack of poor spirit is all over being lukewarm. If we're lukewarm, it's actually blinding that we don't have the attributes of being poor in spirit. And that's what leads us to being lukewarm. Lukewarm convinces us that it's okay to have one foot with God and one foot with the world. Lukewarm convinces us that we can hide behind the gift, still operate in the gifting, still people getting changed, and still nothing is wrong with us because, because watch this, because we're being used. Now watch this. Jesus said, because, here it is, because you say, I am rich. I have I've become wealthy, watch this, and need nothing. Did you see that? You're lukewarm because you say, you say, Ooh, I don't need anything. I don't need anything. I got this. I got my, my Bible study plan. I got, my, I got my, my status. I got my degrees hanging on the wall. I don't need anything. And listen, watch this. This was pierced me. And Jesus said, but you do not know that you're I don't want to say it, but you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You don't know that you're blind. You're miserable. This may not be for everyone. I'm just releasing the word. To those who are lukewarm, he says, you don't know that the reality of your lukewarmness is that you don't know that you actually are miserable. That you're wretched, you're poor, you're blind. I counsel you to buy gold for me, refine in the fire. That you may be rich with white garments and that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Look at this. Look at this. 
Look at what Enrique said. I'm saying it was in my, in my notes. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous and repent. Repent of what? The false ideology of your spiritual strength and your spiritual status allowing you not to deal with the deep issues of your heart. That's what he's saying to repent from. Because when you're poor in spirit, what poor in spirit is, you ask the Holy Spirit to bring you to a place of total dependence and total surrender. Don't wait until trials and tribulation to come. Empty yourself out today and realize that we must become poor in spirit to inherit the blessing of the Lord. We must get low. We must allow the Lord. We cannot we can no longer hide. You can't afford any longer to hide behind your spiritual status anymore. You're dying inside. Come on, you need an awakening. You need your heart alive. Stop hiding behind that status. Stop hiding behind what people think about you. Stop hiding behind your scripture knowledge. Stop hiding behind your revelation. Stop hiding behind your good deeds. Because the Bible says, if you're poor in spirit, you will inherit the kingdom. Come on, stand up. Come on, stand up. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, lift up your hands right now. Come on. Lift up your hands all over this place. All over this place. All over this place. Come on. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.